We're doing a little Captain Obvious. Uh, it's a bit different this week than it was a week ago. Uh, news reports have just been rolling. I've been talking with those of you who are members of our congregation all throughout the week via video, um, almost with daily updates of steps we were taking, things we were thinking, things that we were doing. Uh, and so it's just a very different time. This pandemic is changing and evolving daily, and uh, it is, uh, you know, I mean, just uh, again, a week ago, who would have known this is where we'd be this week? Uh, but it is, and uh, the Lord is on his throne, and so we will just continue taking it one step at a time. But even the most skeptical of deniers um, know something big is beginning to happen when companies are choosing to shut down and give up millions um, of dollars of profits. Uh, Billion-dollar industries that are voluntarily choosing to shut down. Uh, Americans like to make money. Uh, Big corporations like to make money. And so you know something is big going on when these companies are choosing to forego these millions, maybe even billions of dollars. And then on top of that, Friday, President Trump invoked the Stafford Act and called for a national state of emergency as experts warned that uh, if you know, things don't happen quickly, as Dr. Fauci keeps talking about trying to flatten this curve, um, we could have a situation where our beds in the hospitals are overrun, they are maxed out, they go beyond the capacity to be able to handle things if lots of people get sick at once. And so while some of the early skepticism of, of what was going on may have begun to rightly wane, panic in many people's hearts, has begun to grow. But for the believer, we are not to be held captive by either of those. We are to be realists because we know the real God. And so we don't believe, you know, lies and conspiracy theories and, you know, old wives' tales or, or uh, irreverent uh, myths, 1 Timothy 4, 7. We believe the facts. We don't have to dumb it down. We don't have to sugarcoat them. We can believe the facts. But at the same time, we don't have to give in to fear because we know who holds tomorrow, even as we know not what tomorrow holds. And it's because we know the real God that we do not have to give in to fear. We get to continue in the steps of our forebears. Over the last 2,000 years, Christians have faced multiple epidemics. Um, there were multiple plagues and epidemics in the first four centuries in the Roman Empire. One wiped out about a fourth of the empire. Uh, continuing forward, you come to probably the most well-known, the, the, the bubonic plague in the early days of the Reformation that even took the life of one of Martin Luther's daughters. Um, and Christians faced those head on. And it was because of how Christians faced those that historically and humanly speaking led to the explosion of Christianity in new waves. In the first and second and third centuries, while Rome was still pagan, it was how Christians faced these things, how they cared for one another and even those who were not Christian that made people step up and take notice of what was going on. What was different about these people? Same thing in the Reformation period. What's different about these people? Why would they stay? Why would they minister? Why would they love? Why would they give of themselves? Why would they consider other people more important than themselves? 
And so we today have the same chance to make that kind of statement. And we do it by relying exactly on the way our forebears did. With an absolute trust and confidence in Christ. And an absolute faithfulness to His call and command. And so when I found, you know, that we were, with with everything that's going on this week, and we were going to be doing this uh, service, you know, live stream today, I was so encouraged and just by the kindness of God in our own little teeny tiny section of Tennessee, our little congregation, that God would be so kind to have us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, which talk exactly about these things. The bigness of God, His sovereignty over all things, and His call to us to, as His workmanship, carry out good works. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And since you don't have a sermon guide in front of you, I'm going to have to kind of do things a little bit different. So let me just kind of give you the title of today's message. The title of today's sermon is God's Workmanship, because that's what we are. He is working in us. He, has, he created us. He has recreated us in Christ. He is continuing to work on us. And as John preached last week, and as I just read chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, that's what John covered last week, it focuses on the fact that we were really dead. Not just kind of dead, really dead. Like, like in uh, Wizard of Oz, when they sing, you know, the whole little deal about the, the witch, wicked witch is dead. She's empirically, verifiably, blah, 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 dead. Absolutely. We were really dead. And then in Christ, we've been made really alive. Now, we are no longer dead in our sins. We've been made alive together with Christ. And that's what verses 1 through 7 are all about. And then verses 8 through 10 come in and kind of talk about how that's happened. How did that happen? And then what are the results of that? What is it to look like on the backside of that? And so that's what we're going to be taking a look at this morning together. We're going to be talking about how a believer is saved, like how that happens, and some implications of that. And then what is to be the result of that? And so again, since you don't have a sermon guide, let me just give you the two points of the sermon. You can write them down with a pen and paper. We'll fill them in as we go, but they begin the same way. All right. So both number one and number two begin like this. God's workmanships, because that's what we are. We are God's workmanships. If you are a believer, you are God's workmanship. All right. God's workmanships are saved, underline. All right. That's number one. Fill in the blank right there. God's workmanship are saved. Put an underline. Draw a blank. And then number two, God's workmanship are saved. And then draw another blank and we'll fill it in. And so the how and the what of our, of our salvation. So number one, God's workmanship are saved. You probably already guessed it. By grace. Right? Number one, God's workmanship are saved by grace. So look at verse 8 again. And let me encourage you, truly, open up your Bible. Those of you who are this is your first time maybe logging on watching this, all I do pretty much week in, week out is point back to the Bible. Hey, look at verse 8, look at verse 9, look at verse 10, look at verse 11. That's what we're going to be doing. So if you don't have a Bible out in front of you, it's not as helpful to you. So God's workmanship are saved by grace. And that's number one. But look at verse 8. Let me show it to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so how are you saved? That's how you're saved. You are saved by grace. Like if you are a believer, you are saved by grace. That is unmerited favor. It's undeserved blessing. Okay, you didn't earn it. All right, verse 9, it's not a result of works. We are saved by grace alone. But then verse 8 says, through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. That is, we have to believe. We have to make a decision. We have to place our faith in Christ. But then watch this. This is how deep the Father's love is for us. Even that faith to believe is a gift. Even the faith that we have is a gift. Look at the text again and look at it closely. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this. This what? This faith and this grace is not your own doing. It, what, what's the it? Faith and grace and salvation. The whole thing is the gift of God. And so understand this. Grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Faith also is a gift. The Holy Spirit must regenerate our hearts in order for us to believe. So all of salvation, every aspect is a gift from our kind God who, verse 7, is showing His kindness. That's what salvation is about. It is for the glory of God, the praise of His glorious grace, showing off His graciousness, His kindness, His love towards us. Grace is a gift. And so don't ever think of salvation as like a transaction where you know, God provides the grace and you provide the faith and, and it comes together. No, it's, it's all of God. It's all of grace. He is so kind to us to give us that. We were dead. Dead people can't do anything. Dead people can't make a decision. He had to make us alive. And he did this through Christ. And here's why this is so theologically and practically important. If you could simply muster up in your own will, faith and grace and your own salvation, if you could do that of yourself, then, then you own them. Like You produced them, you made all that happen, and so you can boast in yourself and you can walk with a swagger. Look what I did. I did these things and it has made me right with the Father. I did these things and it saved me. But since you can't do that, and since you didn't do anything, all you brought to the table was your sin, and Christ has done everything, then you can't walk with a swagger. You can't boast. And so as I once read, there is no such thing as an arrogant Christian who understands biblically what being a Christian is. Like those two ideas, arrogance and Christianity, true Christianity can't grow in the same petri dish. They can't exist. They are mutually 
exclusive. All glory, all praise for our salvation goes to Christ. And we are humbled before His throne. And humbled by His love. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. He gets the praise for what He has done. He put forth His Son. Jesus came and lived a life that none of us have lived. A life without sin. Died the death that all of us have been condemned to die. Death for sin. And rose again to give us a gift we could never ever earn. Forgiveness of sin. He did that. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. Praise to Him. Our sins, there are many, but His mercy is more. And so this came to us by grace. God gave us this in His, big word here, sovereignty. In His sovereignty. God is sovereign. We see that here. He is sovereign over all things. We see that in uh, the songs we were just singing earlier. He is sovereign. And it is that thing, that attribute of God, that we have got to remember during this time. That He is sovereign. The sovereign power of God in all things is what we need to remember today. Because during these seasons, it is easy... It is so easy to grow anxious during these times. It is so easy, whether it's this time or maybe even something else going on in your life, but let's, you know, let's rope it to what's going on right now as we think about the world around us. It is so easy to let anxiety creep in. I mean, personally, I have an at-risk child at home. And her life right now is not even deemed by the state worthy of being able to have the possibility of having an organ transplant if she ever needed one. She is absolutely excluded because she has Down syndrome. And so if these beds get overrun to such a place that we're having to make triage and stuff like that, as they are in Italy, who are we going to give the ventilator to? Who are we going to give the oxygen to? We don't have enough to go around. Who are we going to give it to? This person or this person? She absolutely is going to be the one that's passed over. And so I know that. And so that has the propensity to want to begin to create anxiety in my heart. And Sarah and I have to fight against that anxiety. Because when you give in to anxiety... What you are saying is that your circumstances are your God. They rule you. They dictate your emotions. They dictate how you respond to things. They are in charge of your life, not Christ, not the Father. Your circumstances are in control of your emotions, not Christ Jesus. Your circumstances dictate how you feel, how you live, how you respond, how you treat other people, not Christ Jesus. You've erased the Apostles' Creed and created your own creed. Circumstances are the Lord. But friends, that's not true. And we have to preach that to ourselves and remind ourselves Jesus is God. He is on His throne. He is Lord, not circumstances. And listen, I'm not denying pain 
Hear me. I am not denying hardship. I've faced it. I'm not denying the circumstances are real and they're difficult and they can hurt and they can consume you. Okay? Not denying. Been there, done that. I'm not denying. And I'm not denying either the hard reality that friends and loved ones are going to die of this disease. I have a friend from childhood who's in ICU, 41 years old, healthy guy, with COVID-19. I'm not denying any of that, not at all. But what I am saying is this. God has our lives in his hand and no virus will overrule his eternal purpose, including the day, Psalm 133, that has been appointed for our death doesn't change anything god still rules and so in these days remember circumstances are not your god god is christ is and he is sovereign and he's good He's not an ambulance driver who shows up after the fact all worried. Oh, what am I going to do now? Never knew this was going to happen. How am I going to respond? God doesn't do that ever. Ever. But like we sang, faithful forever, perfect in love. Perfect in love. Faithful forever. Think about these things. He is sovereign over us. And he's gracious And he saved us by his grace, such that even if the worst comes, like a little VBS song I sang in rural Bartow County, Georgia, we have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. That's where we'll be. And so trust him. Trust him. And friends, remember also, God not only has saved us from something, from our sin, from ourselves, from Satan, from his wrath against from God's wrath against sin. He's not only saved us from something, but he's also saved us to something. And that's what verse 10 is all about. And so look at verse 10 with me. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, right? Made alive for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Again, he's sovereign that we should walk in them. And so number two in your notes, fill in the blank here. God's workmanship, number one, are saved uh, by grace. Number two, are saved to good works. We're saved from something and we're saved to something. That That something is good works. We are saved to good works. Now, works don't make us saved. That is very clear. Verse nine, right? Not a result of works. But now here he's talking about now go do work. It's a result. It's not a root of faith. It's a fruit of faith. All right? We are saved by Christ's works, not our works. But now he works through us to accomplish his good works that he has for us to do. He prepared them. And I want to note a couple of things about good works. Number one, all works that are done... For God's glory are good works. All works that are done for God's glory and by His grace are good works. And so, parent, 
3 a.m., baby screaming again. You're getting up. You're taking care of those things. If you're doing that for the glory of God, empowered by His grace to be able to get yourself out of bed as tired as you are and as much as you don't want. Listen, that is a good work. You are doing good works. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, do all things to the glory of God. That is a good work you're doing. Number two, I want you to remember this. Most of Jesus' good works done in his life were done as a carpenter. It's not just when he started preaching. They were done when he was a carpenter, or even back before that when he was a child, obeying his mom and dad, working hard at his chores, doing his homeschool assignments, learning to read and write, and then going to work with his dad, apprenticing as a carpenter. He was doing a good work, and then when he became a preacher, that was also a good work. But what I want you to understand is one's not better than the other. God has a good work for all of us to do, and we all have a part to play. And so, yeah, it's good to be an elder, a, pe- a preacher. You know what else is a good work? Being a good accountant, being a good teacher, being a good mom, being a good dad, being a good construction worker, being a good truck driver, being a good doctor, a good pharmacist, a good businessman. And doing these things for the glory of God, empowered by His grace, those are good works you are doing. So don't think you've got to do... Like, friend, Christian, be emboldened, be encouraged by that. Those are good works you're doing. Any work done for the glory of God, empowered by the grace of God, is a good work. Be encouraged by that and do your work well for His glory. But then beyond that, there are a few specific things that God calls us to, that Christ calls us to as his followers. And one of the biggest ones, that's why it's called the great commandment. And we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. That is a good work. And that is a good work that he calls us to always. Loving our neighbors. It is a good work to be generous. It is a good work to be kind. It is a good work to display the fruits of the Spirit. It is a good work to display the characteristics of love described in 1 Corinthians 13. It is a good work to care for others. It is a good work to consider others more important than yourself. And friends, during this time, I think God has some especially prepared good works in these realms that he wants us to walk in. And so let me just throw a couple really practical ideas out to you uh, as ways to, you know, we can love these good, we can live these good works out. And the first one is this. To love our neighbor, we need to sacrifice our convenience and our desires to do what we might want to do in order to participate in aggressive sanitation measures and social distancing. Love requires sacrifice. Look at the cross. Love requires dying to yourself. 
Love requires, I don't think, maybe you're like, this is a little bit aggressive, this is a little bit exaggerated, and maybe it is. My hope and prayer is that we look back on this in the weeks to come and say, wow, big to do about little. And I hope that happens that we actually curb everything and so it doesn't become a big deal. But until then, until then, we participate. And it's not about being PC. And it's not even about Romans 13, obeying our governing authorities, though that is there. Absolutely, we should do that. This is ultimately about loving your neighbor. It's about considering others more important than yourself. It's about the great commandment. And when, and when, we, when, when good sanitary procedures stop being just about like trying to save our own skin and it begins being something about loving our neighbor, it begins not to just be you know, about life-saving, but then it becomes so enlivening. And we, are, we are doing things for others. I would not do this, but I'm doing it for someone else. Because this isn't just about you. Scientists are still discovering the characteristics of this virus. How is it transmitted? How long does it live? What is it? Like we, we, there's still so much that we don't know. That's why it's called a novel coronavirus. It's new. It's unknown. And as Christians, we should do what we can to help prevent the spread. That involves basic things we should just be doing every single day. Wash your hands thoroughly and frequently. Use hand sanitizers. Cover your coughs and your sneezes and go wash your hands again. If you're sick, stay away from people. And a couple of things I'd throw out. Rest, sleep more. We need to sleep more. We need to eat better. We need to eat healthy. We need to not shake hands for a season. And we need to not get our information about infectious diseases from political echo chambers. Going to a partisan political blog or news site is not the place to get information for infectious diseases. The place to get in news for infectious diseases is the CDC. It's Dr. Fauci. That's where we get these things. That's where we get our information. Listen to the CDC. This thing may not be this thing may not be ending quickly. And it is definitely not a joke. Again, I have anybody know anybody? I have a friend who's in the ICU, healthy guy, with COVID nineteen. This is not a joke. This is not a conspiracy theory this is a global pandemic and it needs all hands on deck to help it stop that's what all these closures are about people are not just thinking about today they're thinking about next week in two weeks in four weeks in eight weeks what does this look like if we don't get a hold of this but if we do our part now we can suppress this thing but we all have to do our part all right So that's number one. Consider other people more important than your own wants and desires. Love your neighbor. Follow the protocols the government calls for. And loving our neighbor, there is no license for being cavalier or 
nonchalant about the coronavirus. Keep in mind the 80-year-old who sits behind you in the pew week in, week out normally. Keep in mind the person who has a transplant that you work with. Keep in mind the mother who is fighting cancer and on chemo. This is a personal thing. Love these people. Love them. Number two, in that, offer, particularly as a church congregation, as a church community, offer to run errands for those who are more vulnerable. For those who are older, who do need to watch it a little bit more. Call them, reach out to them. Pick up what they need, drop it off at the door. We, we have a directory, use that. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. But the tendency during this time is for us to become self-protective and isolate. And we want to, show, no, we want to love still. We want to be cautious. We want to be prudent. But we still love. We still engage. We still consider others in all facets of considering others. And so, number three, don't be selfish. Don't be greedy. Don't buy up everything. Such that there's not anything left for those who really need it. And you see all the memes and all the jokes about toilet paper, blah, 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 blah. But what about people who need diapers and depends? And they can't get them. Don't buy up everything. As followers of Christ, let's set the example in this. We've been loved, we've been served, we've been cared for at great cost. And now let's love and serve and care for equally. And so when others hoard, we share. When others steal, we give. When others hide, we serve. When others give in to fear, we comfort in the hope of knowing that our God loves us and is for us and is with us and is sovereign. And is kind and is good and is gracious and is caring. He's a good father. In our hearts, we honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in us. And we do it with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15. Let's live that. Number four, take advantage of this time. Uh, one of our elders, Jeff Williams, made a comment uh, just the other day, and here's his comment. Another way to look at these times is that we've been gifted with a lot of fewer distractions in our lives. And given time to pray for people we don't even know. Later this year, this is, the, this is the million dollar question here. Later this year, when you think of this time, will you be proud of what you did with it? Later this year, will you be proud of what you did with this time? Time is precious. Use it well. Number five. For us as a church in particular, we must, 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 must check in with one another a lot during this time. We must check in with one another a lot during this time. We're always pressing to be praying through the directory. And today's the 15th. That means we praying for those who have the last name beginning with the letter O. And so we want to keep doing that. But we also want to be just checking in with people constantly. 
And we want to care well for our widows. We want to care well for our widowers. We want to check in frequently. And the reason is because we're not going to see on a Sunday morning who's not here. A lot of times we'll see on a Sunday morning who's not here. And, and depending on, you know, different um, connections that may have, you know, natural relationships within the church, we'll call and say, hey, I didn't see you. Are you is everything okay? You know, we're following up. We're loving. We're making sure someone's not sick and, and, and you know, doesn't want to tell anybody or, or something's going on difficult in their life and they, they don't want to let someone in. We want to love. We want to care. And that practical opportunity is gone just because we are not physically gathering. So we, as a church, have got to do a much, like, just heightened and intensive purposed job of trying to connect and check on one another and text and call and message. That's something we've got to do during this time. So let's do that. Let's check in with one another. And then finally, number six, we've got to make this time, if this goes on for a while, we've got to make this time central to our week. It already should be central to our week, week in and week out, the gathering of the saints is not, you know, something that you do unless there are other things you would rather do. No, the other things that you would rather do get checked for the gathering of the saints. That's what it means to be a Christian. You trust Christ, you love the saints, you gather. Hebrews 13, 7, or Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And we're having to forsake that in a physical fashion right now and do the best we can do. And so this is to be a time that, that, that should be central every single week. But right now, while so many things have been stripped away, it has to remain central even in a modified format. We need connections in some way, shape, or form. We need to know that during this time, though we can't see them, we are gathering with gathering, you know, with people. And they are singing at the same time that we are. And they are praying at the same time that we are. And they're looking at verse 8 or verse 9 or verse 10 at the same time we are. And we're still continuing on together, connected together. And we've got to do this then and then use that as a springboard for continuing to talk and finding ways to engage because we need one another. We need moral uh, emotional, mental, spiritual support from one another. God made us to live in community and be a body, be a family. And so we've got to find some modified ways to do that during these weird days, even as we long for these weird days to be over. And so church, we don't know how long this will last. But during this time, we want to love well. We want to love each other well and we want to love others well. And God has raised us up for such a time as this, just as He's used Christians throughout the last few millennia, through times of trouble and pestilence, to give witness to His goodness, give witness to His call, to give witness to His kindness and grace. And so let's love well. Let's love well by not thinking about ourselves centrally. Let's love well by thinking about our neighbors. Many of whom are scared. Let's love well by not being scared. Let's love well by being prudent, but not panicky. Let's love well by being calm, 
and confident. Let's love well by being faithful. Let's love well by trusting in our sovereign and good God. Because unlike our, many of our neighbors, we know where our hope lies. And we know where our security lies. And we know where our future lies. It's with the one who conquered sickness, who touched lepers and they were healed. It's with the one who conquered death and said, Lazarus, come out. And it's with the one who defeated death, not just for a time, but for forever. It's with the one that we will someday be with, no matter what. He will hold us fast and he will hold us forever. And so let us use this time And love well. Because we've been loved so very well. Let's pray. Gracious God, would you help us to these things? We are prideful people. We think. We know more than others. We understand things better than others. And. Where, I mean, whatever, we, whatever position we live in, we, we just believe that. We believe that about ourselves. And so, Father, give us humility. Give us humility. And give us patience. And help us, Lord, to help this day and this period and this time to be a springboard for the future in our individual lives of being more concerned about others than we've been in a long, long time. And may it be a springboard within our own country to think about others and not just hold up in our tribes and lob grenades at one another, but to care and to love. May we use this well. May we as Christians love well and show your goodness and your kindness. May we show what it means to be a Christian. Which is basically what these three verses are. Christians are ones who've been saved by grace through faith. And they've been saved to do good works. Not to earn heaven but because it's been earned for us by Christ. And so help us to these ends. In Jesus' name, amen.